Welcome to the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. My name is Sean Coleman. It's a pleasure to join you once again. And as I've mentioned over the past few episodes, I'm very excited and thrilled to welcome one of the best sports minds in the Atlanta market, in my opinion, and also a man of many hats. It is Brad Rowland, host of Locked on Hawks and, and just a bunch of other podcasts. How are you doing today, Brad? It, it's nice to see that you're still alive and well with what's been a busy year for you. Uh, yeah, we're we're hanging in there. It's been busy. I appreciate the kind words, but yeah, ready to get into uh, basketball full fledged. It's been free agency madness, and games are coming. Yeah, the, the one thing that I have, I've followed Brad's work for a few years now, working with him through Talking Shop, covering the Braves, and following his work with the Hawks. It's tremendous work. So you know, we'll get into where you can find him a bit in the show. But the main reason we wanted to bring Brad on is talking about the Hawks, who, who's kind of a regional rival that I know plenty of people in Memphis keep up with. But also, he's done extensive and great work on the NBA draft. So I want to talk with him about uh, the draft as well. But Brad will start you know, with the Hawks. And, you know, I had talked with you a bit before the show. It seems like, you know, that the Hawks and Grizzlies, both teams that going into this offseason still seem to be kind of in that rebuild mode with their premier player at the point guard position, but a bit of a contrasting style when it comes to, you know, this offseason. The Grizzlies have kind of invested in the talent that they brought on in the past couple of summers. Obviously, the Hawks have been very aggressive. Your thought in general on the Hawks' approach this offseason, and, and are you happy with the moves they've made? Yeah, like, like like you said, they've been very aggressive. Um, I think they were always going to be somewhat aggressive this summer. The Hawks had the most cat space in the entire league. It was all sort of leading up to this summer as a pivot point. I guess it wasn't summer at, at that point in time. It was the fall. But um, offseason is a better way to put it, I guess. But it's... I think I'm. I was at least a little bit surprised that they were able to spend all the money that they did um, on free agents that were that are guys who are going to help them now. Um, usually, a team like the Hawks that has not won in the recent past, you're either going to have to like get creative, make some trades, or maybe take a salary dump, something like that. But this time around, they were able to land two guys on really lucrative contracts in Bogdanovich and Gallinari, and then from there, full fit on the margin. So. I think I'm. Uh, I was surprised to some degree, but it shouldn't have been a huge surprise that the Hawks were going to be investing in the team this year. And also, there's all kinds of buzz that they're just going to want to win now. I mean, they were talking about the playoffs all spring, summer, and fall along before all of this. So, with that as the focus, it made some sense to go ahead and invest now. And I think that, you know, just looking at it from an outside perspective, I don't know if it's this simple, but to me, you know, if you can break it down this simply, it makes a lot of sense. It seems like that kind of one of the the main directions with their moves was making sure the net value of franchise player Trey Young was put in a good place. You get Dunn and Rondo to be able to help out with the perimeter defense, obviously a part of Trey's game that's still working, but you add Bogdanovich and Valinari along with Trey now to just have an outstanding shooting potential on the outside. Do you think it's as focused with these moves in, in terms of, you know, really, uh, you know, maximizing the strengths of Trey Young, or is there more to it than just that? I think it's a combination. Obviously, it helps to invest in by far your best player, your your franchise centerpiece, making the game easier for him, making it easier for him to win, also just supporting him with quality talent, because that was one of the things about last year's Hawks team is that they had the young guys. Trey Young made the huge leap. But they just kind of had some real deficiencies that they had to address. One of them was shooting. The other one was defense, just broadly speaking. And they kind of did both of those things. That's not only building around Trey, but everything they have to, everything they do, that they do, that they do basically, has to be around Trey Young in some way because he is their centerpiece. So, yeah, adding the perimeter defense helps cover up for him in some ways, and also helps them to actually support him actively. And then shooting. 
whether he's on the court or not, the Hawks needed more floor spacing, more creation. But Donovan mentioned Gallinari could both get their own shot as well, as well as they, uh, sort of providing that floor spacing that the Hawks just desperately needed. So I think all moves can be traced back to wanting to support and put the best product on the floor alongside Trey Young as the centerpiece. But they also all make sense, even if you're not considering that directly. And the other thing that I think that people, I feel they may be putting a little bit too much emphasis on because I think at the end of the day, you still have plenty of room for development, but it's the, the investment that's been on external pieces. What about the internal pieces? Of course, you have such a good young core in place already with Reddish and Hunter and Herter, you know, as well as Collins and now Okongwu, who we'll talk about in a second. But do you think with the amount of investments that have been made on the external players that they brought in, in terms of time with the wings and in terms of an extension potentially with Collins, do the new external pieces that are in, do they impact the development or the potential extension of Collins at all with these young players? Do you feel that the young wings and Collins will still get the development that they need to truly build that young core for the future around Trey? I think it's a concern. I'm not panicking about it, that they may have um, sped up a little bit too fast potentially. And I think there is enough room for the young guys to play. I think it is probably fair to also say that one or maybe even two of the younger wings, that Herter, Hunter, Reddish trio, one of those guys, maybe even two, has to play less than they did last year. And that's, that's not the end of the world. Um, they've been talking about having a, a competitive environment. And, you know, in the past, if you were a young first-round pick in this team on this team the last couple of years, you were just going to play because it was time to develop you. And uh, there wasn't a whole lot of pressure to succeed necessarily, or maybe earn your minutes. You wanted to at least have some culture of that. But at the end of the day, they were going to play these guys. Now they're trying to win. And, um, you know, th those guys are all capable of being rotation guys this year, but they're also maybe not as good. Like for instance, Herter is not as good as Bogdanovich. Um, Hunter isn't as good as Gallinari. Um, we'll see what they do at the three. That's, that's the spot where I think Reddish and or Hunter can play a lot of minutes and they need their defense to be sure. But guy, a guy like Herter in particular, like he might be in a smaller role this time around. And that's okay. You don't always have to just have your same core guys and just ride them the entire way through. They'll have, they'll have minutes to prove themselves. And if Herter's lighting the world on fire, or if Hunter's playing great, they're going to play those guys even more. But I think that it was probably about time to maybe start trying to win. They were always going to sign. So this, is, this is the point that I always made the entire time, even before they made these investments. But they were always going to sign a player or two on the wing that was going to be a rotation caliber player or better. So it wasn't always going to be the three guys running it back again this year. They went, they actually went a little bit higher than I thought in terms of investing real, real money in Bogdanovich and Gallinari. But all that means is that it's time to perform and they're going to be competitive. Those guys all have room to play, but I'm not panicking about them not having uh, room to develop. You still do that. Some of that stuff off the court as well. And with Collins, um, he's going to be a part of the team. Uh, obviously he's going to start, the extension talks are almost separate in a lot of ways and that that more impacts the future than it does this year. Um, but I think they might just let it ride. So we'll see what happens there, but they'll still be playing time for the young guys. They just have to actually earn their minutes this time. And I think one thing that you also could clearly see with this young team is that if you put those young guys in a position where they know they need to perform, you could see someone really step up and emerge, you know, quicker than expected. And I hope for the Hawks case, that certainly is. But we talk about the Hawks success on the court. One place where they've had plenty of success over the past few years is certainly the draft. And here in Memphis, we're thankful to say the same. Coming up, I'm going to talk with Brad about the 2020 NBA draft and discuss, you know, his opinion on some of the Grizzlies draft picks and a few uh, University of Memphis players. For months, myself and others of the Locked On Podcast Network had talked about the great product that is Built Bar. Like any other great products, it's always needed, you know, 
The ability to improve the product in time is always needed, and I'm glad to say that's exactly what Built Bar has done. Not only is it, is, does it offer the same great benefit of being the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, offered you great health and you know just a simple addition to your day, but now Built Bar actually has introduced six new um, flavors for the holiday season. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. And the thing about it is that even though there are now 18 great flavors to choose from, it still remains the healthy benefit to your day. Their belt bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber bars that you can have in, morning for, have in the morning for breakfast. You can have before or after a workout, maybe as an afternoon snack, listening to your favorite Locked On Podcast Network show. And the great thing about it is, is that Built Bar also has you covered and making sure that your investment in them is worthwhile. With each purchase now, while supplies last, you actually get a free Built Bar cooler. That's a free Built Bar cooler while supplies last with your next order of Built Bar. And also, if you use the promo code Locked On when you go to BuiltBar.com, you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, with your next order of Built Bar, by using the promo code Locked On, you'll get 20% off plus a free Built Bar cooler while supplies last. Visit BuiltBar.com today. On tomorrow's episode here at Locked On Grizzlies, we will be discussing um, a a new uh, theme for our Thursday episodes, Think Tank Thursdays. Going to be looking at three big questions uh, regarding the Grizzlies and and looking at their season coming up. I'm still working a bit on the title, but the whole goal is is that each segment on our Thursday episodes before the season starts, and we may even go into the season, we'll be looking at three big questions facing the Grizzlies as they start the season. Going to talk in general about some specific players and the fallout that could occur as the season begins. Make sure to join us for tomorrow's episode, Think Tank Thursdays, really addressing some big questions the Grizzlies have coming up at the start of the season. So Brad, with the sixth pick, I think that y'all made one of the better draft night picks, and that was Onyeka Okongwu. And of course, he was the main person, you know, main alternative in the lottery to Memphis, um, you know, player James Wiseman. Now, I personally had Okongwu above Wiseman due to me thinking that he probably was going to be a better bet to have, you know, a true solid NBA career and on his defense. But at the end of the day, I would say Wiseman and Okongwu really landed in ideal places for them, you know, when it comes to their outlook in the NBA. Yeah, I would agree. I think that, you know, Wiseman has all the physical tools in the world, and it's not a surprise that he went so high. I had a Congo slightly higher as well, but Wiseman, you know, guys that have his tools, his measurables, his athleticism, they don't really fail very often. My concerns with him were more like upside related, which is kind of funny in terms of the modern game, but he's more of a, tra- a traditional center. I think a Kongwu, um, you certainly could have found maybe a better place for him in, in terms of like contributing right away because the Hawks do have a lot of guys in the front court. But long term, he's a really good fit with what they have. He's a defense first kind of player who actually add a little bit of value offensively. I like that value a lot for Atlanta at six. It wasn't like a home run in terms of fit. People were questioning the fit, and I, I totally get that. But for me, he was he was the best player available at that slot in my view. So even if it wasn't like a perfect plug and play fit for Atlanta as a rookie or as a sophomore in the NBA. He's a good player and they're investing, you know, draft picks are about the future, not necessarily about their first year or even the second year. You're looking long term and I'm I'm a big fan of his, so I like to pick a lot. I think that another thing that you could say that, you know, is common between Atlanta and Memphis that you need, you know, Atlanta, you know, in terms of the city itself is a big market, you know, has it really had a lot of success getting stars and things like that over the years? You know, probably not. Memphis is in the same boat, but I think that for teams that need to be rebuilding, 
not every move is going to be highly successful, but you at least have creative front offices. And I think that that is something you could certainly say about Atlanta and Memphis when it comes to draft night. How much confidence do you feel does it give you know the fans as well as those in the organization to know when there's an opportunity like a draft night that both Atlanta's GM like Memphis is really creative and is really looking to maximize every opportunity he gets to add to the present and the future? Yeah, I think it's crucial. I mean, Atlanta, like you said, is a bigger market in terms of just the way that market is usually used. But in the NBA, it's not seen as a big market team in that way. That might change. I know Kevin Arnovitz has been a long zealot of that. Uh, I think Atlanta is sort of a sleeping giant in that way. The NBA is a big deal in Atlanta. It's not necessarily a Hawkstown yet. Now that they have a star with Trey Young, and that might that might change in the future. But I think in general, the Hawks have never been a team that's going to go out and get the absolute you know top dollar free agent. They really have never gotten that guy. Um, they have, they've, they've gotten some invest some guys to invest at high at high numbers between you know Dwight Howard, the, the two guys this year, Paul Millsap a few years ago. But they never actually landed that absolute number one star. So if you know that coming in that your free agent market is not necessarily going to be over over the moon. You have to be smart about the way you build your team. You have to build for the draft in a lot of ways, like like the Hawks and the Grizzlies have done. And once you find that star, it's easier to pitch other players, easier to make trades, etc. So I think it's it is definitely crucial to understand where you are, where your franchise is, what your actual resources are. I think the Hawks actually do understand that, and of course, it helps to have the guy to build around, which again is the biggest thing in the NBA. And I also want to say thank you and congratulate you on just an awesome, you know, body of work when it comes to uh, the NBA draft work through the Locked On, you know, draft show leading up to the draft. And through that, I think that you probably gained a little bit of knowledge on some of the pieces that the Grizzlies got. You know, the big thing that the Grizzlies needed this offseason was secondary playmaking and, you know, shooting. And they got that in Tillman, Bain, and Tilly. I would even, you know, go out to say that, you know, arguably they got the best shooter in the draft as well as the best shooting big man. I know that can be debated. But if those were the needs of the Grizzlies, would you agree that they certainly helped that out with the pieces that they got in those three players? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I like their draft quite a bit. Um, and, you know, I, I'm definitely a, a draft zealot. So I, I've, I've seen a lot of these guys play. And I think the value is really going all, on, on all three levels. I think obviously with with Tilly, you're, you're just hoping that he stays healthy. But yeah, the, the skills that they have, I think they're, they, they sort of found some underrated players and that maybe they were discounted because they were a little bit on the older side, but that can be overblown. And I think, again, just the value, it's not necessarily just skills because skills do matter and that, you know, fill, filling needs for a team that is already as solid as the Grizzlies are is also important. But just getting value, getting guys who can help your rotation long-term. And where they were picking, that wasn't necessarily a slam dunk to be happening. And yet for me, if everything works out health-wise, like I could see all three of those guys being rotation-level players or better. And if that actually comes out to being, sort of comes to fruition, you can't ask for much more than that. So yeah, the skills make sense. The overall value makes sense. And you kind of have to love what Memphis did, I think. And you're starting to see that more and more. You're starting to see a lot of these players, you know, on contenders, you know, on these teams that are really good at developing talent. They're picking older players later in the draft, early in the second round. They get them in their system. And these players, you know, far exceed the expectations. Are you starting to feel there's a trend in the NBA where, you know, it makes sense. The Grizzlies have really benefited from it, especially from Brandon Clark. But to where players are, you know, teams may be more shifting to picking older but proven talent instead of only going upside with all their picks um maybe a little i think that they'd be wise to do that sometimes i mean there it's always important to note like the context you know clark was a guy who i loved and a lot of nba twitter loved but it was also easy to see why he fell he shouldn't have fallen that far to be very very clear and i think we all know that now but 
you know, he also he was, he was also old and short and all that all that stuff. So I think it's just kind of market inefficiencies more than anything else. A lot of times it's older players. A lot of times it's guys who don't have a great don't have the greatest measurables. Sometimes it's just like body type or maybe trying to find one elite skill. It's kind of just zigging where the market is zagging. And I think this year is a great example. I think with Tillman and Bain in particular, Bain is a guy who was like really off the radar. NBA Twitter loved him, and he was a, he was a fast riser in the draft. But an older guy who wasn't a prominent program. I know TCU is a major a major program, but it wasn't like the, a blue blur or anything like that. And he fell too far. Xavier Tillman's a guy I've loved forever, but he's not a seven footer. He's a center who's like six nine, but he's such a he's such a beast in terms of strength and basketball IQ and positioning that they kind of you're buying that at the expense of measurables. So two good examples of though it's not just age. It's sometimes it's sometimes it definitely is, but you're just trying to find where the market is not picking up on a guy and why the guy's underrated. And sometimes it will not work out for you because occasionally a lack of size or being too old does actually matter. And it's not a foolproof system, but you have to kind of weigh what you're seeing on the court and try to translate it. So yeah, I think it could be uh, a situation that teams could uh, sort of maximize, especially if other teams are just looking in that more traditional mold of looking for upside and measurables. I think you bring up a great point. A lot of times it's just an individual situation where you got to give credit to the team for, you know, making the move and, and getting the guy who in their system they really could develop. You know, it could be just as simple as that. But speaking of simplicity, um, that's what it comes down to. You know, when you look at the future of Memphis and Atlanta is that their futures are basically, you know, they're they're dependent on the same thing, and that's a premier point guard. Coming up, I'm going to talk a little bit with Brad. We're now into the second year of John, the third year of Trey. What's the outlook going forward? So, Brad, over the past you know few decades, when you look at the championship, teams you've seen plenty of significant you know likely hall of fame level point guards who have played you know huge roles on a championship team but you've never really seen one who's been the main reason why it always seems like they need a a two-way wing next to them to make the true difference to be a championship team how confident are you on trey being the premier premier player on a championship contender or do you think he eventually is going to have that true significant secondary player to support him I think in general, in the modern NBA, it is unquestionably easier to build a contender or a top-level contender if your primary playmaker is not 6-1, if that makes sense. At the same time, there are guys who are outliers and are definitely good enough to be number ones on championship teams, and I think both Young and Morant project to be that way. So like, you have to be a special, special player to be an, an unquestioned number one on a title-winning team. Look at the teams that win championships and with basically one exception in the last, I don't know, 30 plus years. And that's the, uh, the Pistons team in 2004, basically every other team for 30 years has had a top 10 player on the roster in the NBA. That's one championship. You, you, you kind of just have almost have to have that guy. Um, and yes, I think it's harder to do that if you're the only number one. It can be done. We've seen it happen. Um, but again, especially recently, most teams in the modern era are winning with two or even three stars. It's really, really hard to win a title right now if you are the only superstar on your team almost. now. So to answer your question, I think realistically, 
it is way more likely that either the Grizzlies or the Hawks would need a legitimate second star to actually win the championship. Is it impossible? No, no, it's not. And you know, that, that doesn't rule out the internal development of guys like Jaron Jackson or John Collins or Cam Reddish, whoever you want to say, but just not even saying who it's going to be. It's just much, much easier and much more projectable to put a team in that legitimate title contending conversation, that rarefied error, if they actually have two stars, because usually it takes two stars. And I think that, you know, I'm seeing Memphis, you know, kind of having the outlook of being kind of like a Toronto where they had to trade for that true superstar, maybe even for just a year to have a true championship opportunity. They've got all the pieces in place. They need the talent to get them over the top. And that's what I think Memphis may eventually have to do through a trade. But in terms of Atlanta. Do you feel that with Trey in you know, place, as you mentioned, they never have really you know, attracted that star-level type talent, but do you think through free agency or trade, that's the route they could go as well to attract a guy who truly would want to stay in Atlanta with Trey to make the difference, to make them a title contender in the East? Yeah, I mean, I think for most, most teams, if you're not the Lakers, most teams have to trade for that. You either have to draft the guy or trade or trade for the guy. It, it, you have to set it up pretty perfectly to actually get a star, like a legitimate superstar level player in free agency. So many things have to go your way. And especially for markets like Atlanta and Memphis that just have never actually been able to do that. Your best bet is going to be either drafting a guy or trading for a guy. And now, especially for where the Hawks are, Memphis is probably the same way. It's hard to draft that guy now that you're so that you're good. You know what I mean? Like it's hard you have, you, to not have a lottery pick anymore or a, or a high lottery pick anymore. Trading is now your number one way to do that. And that's probably the easiest way anyway, especially if you have assets. So I don't know, you wouldn't want to rule it out. There are stars that can be found later in the first round of drafts and all that stuff. But now I think for the Hawks, the best way to do that, unless you're just over the middle about Cam Reddish, which I know a lot of people are, think they think Reddish is that is that kind of upside kind of player. If you don't see that necessarily, the way to do that is to find the next disgruntled star around the league. And there's always one, usually every six months or so, someone wants to get traded and you'd cash in your chips at that point in time. And hopefully you get that kind of stay long-term. You plan it out well. And there's always an element of luck here. Like go back to the Rockets with James Harden as a great example. Like Daryl Morris was very open and just like biding his time, biding his time, biding his, biding his time until somebody came available to trade for. In that case, it was James Harden. They traded for him and suddenly they're a contender for a half decade. And that's kind of the way this has to work. There's, there's always an element, of, unless you're the Lakers, Luck has to be involved on some level, but yeah, you got, you, you got to have to just pounce whenever the opportunity arises. And I think that that leads me to, you know, my, my, you know, last question and kind of what I've been leading up to with the, with um, uh, the first two discussions in this segment is that it seems like even though that the um, Hawks were aggressive this year, you know, those contracts are still going to be attractive after this year, maybe even after two years. And they are good enough contracts to where you could potentially use them in trades. I think with Atlanta, you know, this, they're, they're being aggressive. They want to make the playoffs, but kind of like Memphis, you know, they're certainly not at the end. They're still making moves as a means to an end. And in a 2021 offseason, yet neither one of these teams may be in play for one of the big free agents like Giannis or others if they become available. But I think that you could see Memphis and Atlanta make those type of really significant moves for the future based off that 2021 offseason goes. It's really important also, even with aggressive as Atlanta has been, for these two franchises to remain active. And I think that they're gaining pieces to make that big significant trade sooner rather than later. Could you see that being a scenario for the Hawks based off what can play out? Yeah, certainly. I think that um, even Travis Schlenk, the president of basketball operations, acknowledged recently, kind of unprompted on a media call, that 
they're set up to make a trade if they want if they have, if something aligns itself and you know it has to actually happen the player has to be available but part of the thing you want to avoid as a team in this kind of realm is signing the devastating contract contract that you, that you can't move and the hawks have not done that the hawks have been smart um even gallinari who's a it's a lot of money but the last year is non-guaranteed he's a good player you can sort of match salary that way and part of the deal with in the nba of course is you have to match salaries too so you want to have some middling salaries to attach to a trade the Hawks have a pretty good setup for that at this point in time. Um, again, you have to find the guy who's actually available, but part of the trick is just having the pieces. And I think the both these teams that we're talking about, the Hawks and the Grizzlies, have the pieces to package together. You still have to find the guy who's willing to come and maybe maybe extend and maybe stick around for you. But in order to have any, any chance whatsoever, you have to have the package to offer. And there are many teams around the league that, that have nothing to offer for a superstar. The Hawks and Grizzlies have those pieces now. The Hawks especially have basically anyone but Trey Young would be tradable for the right superstar. I'm not saying they're tradable for anyone, but if it's a top 10 guy in the league that becomes available, you trade anybody but Trey Young to get that guy. So yeah, I think they're in a good position to do that. Will it happen? We'll see. I would probably guess, you know, it's it's hard to like project that in the last in, in the next year or two, but it, sure, it certainly should not surprise anyone if the next time a star comes available, the Hawks are one of the teams on the list. And Brad, let's let, let, let's just be straightforward and honest in your case, because you're kind of in the catbird seat. Now, in getting to know Brad a little bit over the past few years, he's a passionate Hawks fan, but you're also a passionate Michigan Wolverines fan, if I'm correct. Is that right? Uh, I am. It's, it's been a rough it's been a rough couple months on that front. Well, hey, I, I will say, though, looking at that recruiting class, though, in basketball under Juwan Howard, that 2021 class right now is at the top of the rankings. So if it doesn't work out in Atlanta and they wind up in that 2022 lottery, I think you're going to have some pretty good prospects from Michigan that you may be looking at to come to the Hawks. That's a, <laughs> yeah. nice, that, that's a nice backup plan. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, at least uh, nothing else. Michigan basketball can carry me because Michigan football is so bad. So, yes, it should be a lot, it should be a lot more fun. Uh, I've always said Michigan's a basketball school. So there you go. Now, I, I'm agreeing with you. With Tennessee, I'm, I'm the same way. It's nice to at least have basketball with, with football being so bad. But, Brad, you know, obviously Memphis is a huge basketball town, you know, besides the Grizzlies, kind of like you said, with Atlanta. And, of course, I, they all uh, the fans here always would love to know, you know where they can find great work. You know, where can folks find your work with the NBA season coming up? And do you have any big projects yourself, obviously, that they can follow to get as much knowledge about, you know, either the Hawks or just the NBA in general? Uh, nothing crazy project wise, you know, the draft is my, uh, my baby every year. And that's now in the, in the rear mirror finally, uh, after a long, long time, but yeah, um, I, I can be found everything that I do. I end up tweeting out at BT Roland on Twitter. I host locked on Hawks, which is a, a passion project, but also a lot of fun, uh, talking chop as you referenced before the Braves podcast that I do. And I also write for dime on Uproxx. I cover the NBA, the NBA draft and college basketball over there. So you can find me anywhere, nothing particular to plug other than just the podcast, subscribe, rate, review, all that stuff. Even if you don't love the podcast, even if you don't love the Hawks, it's pretty easy to, to download podcasts if you want to just support people. So that, that's that's an option as well. I, I would encourage people on my show to do the same thing for Locked On Grizzlies and really the entire network as well. It's kind of easy to download and support shows. So uh, that's my whole spiel for now. But uh, you can find everything that I do at BT Roland on Twitter. He's an excellent find, one of the hardest workers that I know when it covering sports and also one of the best minds out there. Brad, if you'll stick with us, but thank you so much for taking the time to join us. For Brad, my name's Sean Coleman. You can follow us at Locked on Grizzlies, myself at Stats SEC, and the podcast wherever they're available, Spotify, Stitcher, the podcast app on your phone. For Brad Rowland, my name's Sean Coleman again. We'll talk to you soon here on the Locked on Grizzlies podcast.